1: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, February
2: 25th,
1: 2013. All right, let's see here. I need to remember to remind everybody about the discernment weekends coming up. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of really bizarre things being said out there by people who are being touted as well theologians and church leaders and popular authors and things like that yeah well think of it this way okay you always have to consider the source you must always consider the source let me give you a metaphor an analogy if you would that that kind of makes the point okay do you do you well take pay attention to where your water comes from okay think of it this way okay i mean there's people out there you know they'll only drink bottled water or water that's filtered like you know they get one of those brita filters oh, you know and me personally i can 't stand the taste of water that comes out of my tap, okay just just so you know, okay, and so we have a Culligan filter that uh, that filters our drinking water for us, which i 'm very thankful for because it makes you know the water taste better and and things like that. But that being said, I mean the truth is is that I could drink the water from my tap, why because well, I know for a fact that the town that I live in that they they strictly adhere their you know their water district there strictly adheres to the standards set you know for pure drinking water okay and yeah, it has a kind of like a, a chlorini type of taste to it, but I know that if I drink it i 'm not going to die um, and i 'm not even going to get sick you know it 's not going to get cholera or dysentery or anything like that, not even close. OK, so where you live, I mean, it matters to you what water you drink. OK, for instance, if, if the folks in your town said, you know, we're going to you know, we got to save some money here. You know, we're we're sick and tired of all of those uh, those water Nazis. OK, you know, this, I'm using an inflammatory term on purpose here to kind of make the point. All those water Nazis out there who are insisting that we have pure drinking water. Uh, We are sick and tired of being beholden to the water Nazi lobby that is basically arguing and constantly making sure that there's – that we don't have any, you know, like arsenic in our water and that we're not using uh, reclaimed water from our local, um, you know, water reclamation uh, site where, you know, they filter out the – The particulates from, you know, like the sewer and things like that. And we, it's so expensive. And, you know, and, and nobody cares about this stuff anymore. Really, come on, this is the 21st century. You know, all these water Nazis are out there insisting that we have pure drinking water. And so what we've decided to do is we're just, you know, there's a slu- there's a sludge pond over here. And, you know, the water looks... Okay, it has a little bit of a funky smell to it, but we 've discovered that we would save millions every year if rather than you know using water source that require you know that makes it so that we have to use pure water, we could just use this sludge pond over here, and you know it we 'd save like a truckload of money and, and we can lower your taxes <laughs> you know if any of your politicians in your local area even remotely tried to float something like that. Believe me when I tell you, everybody in town would be showing up to the next town meeting okay you know, the, when the city council met, there would be people there literally in the face of their local municipality thing saying, "How dare you you know try to cut corners and save money at the expense of our health right you know, don 't you understand what would happen if you if you were to basically pump out the water from that sludge pond over there. What would happen to our health? I and mean, kids would be getting sick and dying and think, right. Okay. In fact, we often send churches often send missionaries, you know, to Africa to, to dig freshwater wells, because it's really important that you have pure water. Right. Right. Okay. Now, don't you find it odd? At least I do that um, what's more important, your spiritual health or your physical health? Now, granted, both are very important. But I would say that since there's a day coming, and I have no clue when it's going to arrive, it could arrive like today or tomorrow or, you know, a a week from now or a month from now or 50 years. I have no idea. But there's a day coming when I'm going to die, unless, of course, Christ returns, which I'm kind of hoping for. That would be cool. Um, But then at the same time, it would also be, uh, let's just put it this way. The day of the Lord is, I think calling it cool would be like the wrong way to describe it. It would be fierce, fearful, and awesome all at the same time. Talk about the ultimate shock and awe, right? But that being said, um, I do think it would be kind of neat if I was able to, you know, live, to see the day when Christ returns. I think that would be quite awesome. But that's neither here nor there if he continues to tarry and i have no clue when he's come back coming back and i'm not out there trying to divine the prophetic tea leaves to figure out a date or a time or anything like that nope you know i figure the job of the church stays the the same until christ returns and it's not our job to uh divine the prophetic tea leaves our job is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, you know, things like that. So, um, that being the case, uh, there's a day coming when I'm going to die. And so, um, yes, it's important that I'm healthy as, you know, to, you know, to a point here, you know, on this planet. But the truth is, is that, you know, even if I'm like really super healthy and all that kind of stuff, I still could get in a car crash and die. You, you get what I'm saying? So the, that being the case, there's the, there's temporal things you got to take care of, and then you got eternity to keep in mind. Okay, with eternity in mind, I would argue that spiritual health really ranks way up there in my priority scheme. Okay, and it ought to in yours as well. That being the case, um, you you might want to consider the sources of where you're getting your spiritual information or let's just say spiritual water from is the source a source that's giving you pure clean drinking water as in doctrinal drinking water or is the source something icky and gross like somebody's heart or human speculation or philosophy or you get what i'm saying cuz when you consider sources i mean you got to re- realize that if the source of a theology is somebody's heart or their mind or their life experiences that is a theological source that you are likely to catch a disease from cuz that's not clean like far from it and so um what i would argue is is that the bible actually very explicitly instructs us that the real source of pure doctrinal drinking water is God's word plain and simple you can trust it when you read it in context and somebody's not twisting it or diluting it with other stuff that what that's that's the drinking water that you can drink from without fear of catching a spiritual disease of the the spiritual version of dysentery or cholera or anything like that. But if the source isn't scripture, Ooh, you got to think of that as like trying to drink from the toilet. Okay. And not just the toilet, but probably the toilet that hasn't been cleaned in a really long time. You just one of those things where just the thought of drinking from that should send shivers down your spine. That's a good way to think about these things. Who are you going to trust? Okay? What's the source of your theology? Um, is it really God's word? Or is it a place that's really not safe to drink from? Just something to consider. In fact, let me give you a couple of passages, okay? A couple of passages I think that will help here, talking about the purity of God's word, so to speak. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35 says this Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, Jesus is saying his words are eternal. And if if they're his words, he's God. We can trust Jesus and we can trust his words. They're going to be here forever. They're never going to pass away. And then I think about you know the Gospel of Mark. There's a couple of episodes, a couple of run ins that Jesus has in the Gospel of Mark that I think are worth noting. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1, that Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees. And here's what it says Now, when the Pharisees gathered uh, to Jesus um, with, with him, uh, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus's disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is unwashed now irony here is is that you know we're talking about water and uncleanness right here so Jesus his disciples came to dinner without washing their hands now um hopefully this will not uh encourage your small children to say well mom look the disciples did it so why do you want why do you always make me wash my hands before yeah okay that's neither here nor there, but we continue. It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, they do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Okay, now, just kind of get this out here. Um, The Bible nowhere, nowhere says, Thou shalt wash thy hands before eating, thus saith the Lord. Okay, now it's a good idea. In fact, it's a very good idea for you to wash your hands before you eat. In, in fact, it, good hy- hygiene and health—it's that—that's a very important thing. But nowhere does God command that you do it. Okay, instead, the Pharisees were doing it. This was a human tradition. This was a human doctrine. It didn't have its origin in God's word, but they exalted their teaching. The, the you know their their traditions to be on par with or maybe even superseding scripture and that's a problem because you got to consider the source okay now uh so when they came uh when they come from the marketplaces the pharisees they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and the pharisees and the scribes asked jesus Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? So Jesus said to them, Hmm, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines. This would be like biblical doctrine, you know, teaching as like commands of God not not God's commands, but the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother uh, or mother must surely die. But you say, well, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you, you would have gained from me is korban. That means it's now given to God. Well, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Right? So here in this passage in Mark chapter 7, you've got two different streams, two different sources of doctrine. One is God's word. The other The traditions, the teachings, the commandments, the ideas of men. And Jesus rejects the other stream. That would be the teachings of men. And he rejects it, rebukes it, corrects it, you know, completely disavows it. Whereas God's word, he upholds and he affirms as the right source of doctrine and teaching. So I ask the question again, when you go to church, and the guy is teaching, or the girl, which shouldn't be happening, uh, the woman is teaching, what is the source of the teaching? Is it God's Word, or is it the doctrines, commandments, ideas of men? If it's the teachings of men, or humans, that is a foul water source. That is not a place that you want to be drinking from, spiritually jesus rejects it so should you jesus is not a fan of anything that has to do with human ideas that exalt themselves up to as as if it's biblical or teachings of god and then we got this other passage mark chapter 12. Here's what it says, verse 18. Sadducees came to Jesus, and they, they are the ones who say that there's no resurrection. So Sadducees are kind of like the ancient world's version of liberals, right? And they asked him a question saying, "'Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother.'" Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. second took, a, uh, took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. You would expect that, right? And so in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, the Sadducees thought that this was well, quite the thorny theological question. But watch Jesus' rebuke. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. You are quite wrong. Right, so what did Jesus do there? Well, the Sadducees rejected the idea of the resurrection. And Jesus rebuked them for this because God's word so clearly teaches it, right? So again, who are you going to listen to? What is going to be your source? Is it going to be God's word or the ideas of human beings and their experiences and what they think or feel God is like or about. Because when you have somebody teaching like that, well, again, the source is like drinking from a sludge pond. You, you, you not, nothing good comes of that. Nothing good comes of it. Jesus re- rejects human traditions. These are not, this is a human tradition, by the way. Oftentimes people think, oh, a human tradition is like when somebody in a church lights a candle. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about in uh, in Matthew in Mark seven. What Jesus is talking about there is human ideas being exalted as godly doctrine, right? And then I would point you to the uh, epistle Second John. Second John, starting at verse four, here is what the apostle John wrote. He says, "I rejoice greatly to find some of you were uh, some of your children were walking in the truth." Just as we were commanded by the Father, notice that the John writes that he was happy that some of their children are walking in the truth, which means by the way, if you're walking in the truth, that means it's possible to walk in error okay and and he says that God the Father has commanded us to walk in the truth, not in lies. Not in human ideas and doctrines, but to walk in the truth. And he continues, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but uh, one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. What is love? that we walk according to the commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is, is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves then, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of christ does not have god whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes place or part in his wicked works so there there's the idea there right you got to consider the source. You need to walk in the truth. God has commanded us to walk in the truth. Or as Jesus said, those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we need to watch ourselves because there's many deceivers who've gone out into the world who, well, they don't abide in the teaching of Christ and they bring a different teaching. They go on ahead and don't abide in the teaching of Christ. Well, if they're not teaching you what Christ has said, and the only place you can find that is in the revealed, written Word of God, well, you're not to listen to them. That's a foul water source. That's the kind of water that can make you really, really sick and kill you. You must always, always, always consider the source. Is the source of the teaching that you're hearing Sunday after Sunday the clear word of God properly exegeted using good hermeneutics, or is it the speculations and ideas of human beings? If it is, if it's that, the second one, you don't want to drink from that water. You don't. In fact, you need to watch yourself. God has commanded us to walk in the truth, not in lies. But here's the good news. If you have been imbibing and drinking foul water and not hearing the truth and not watching yourself, and as a result of it, you've, well, become spiritually sick, so to speak. The good news is this, that Christ even has died for that sin. Repent, believe the good news, and drink the good water found in God's word and abide in the teachings of scripture. Christ will forgive you and he will sustain you and bring you into his heavenly kingdom. With him, there is much forgiveness and much mercy for sinners like you and like me. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. All of that was for a reason. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a couple of updates here. In fact, we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll come back. We got a Patricia King update called "Your Season of Recovery," and then once we're done with the Patricia King update, um, what we're gonna be doing is we're going to be listening to part one of a two-part series. We're gonna start today um, from a recent appearance by Tony Jones of the Emergent Church on a fairly popular. Christian television show called Harvest, The Harvest Show, and uh, he was there to discuss his book, um, A Better Atonement, and uh, yeah, let's just put it this way, the monologue from today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is critical as we uh, listen to Tony Jones today. Today he's going to give us a little bit of the history of the emergent church, and he's going to talk about theology, and tomorrow, uh, part two, we'll listen to what he talks about regarding the atonement. One of my questions is, why would any evangelical Christian television program like The Harvest Show invite an emergent postmodern heretic like Tony Jones on their program? It, it just makes you wonder, do they not have any theological or doctrinal sense to them? Maybe they've been drinking from the wrong water source, if you know what I mean. And then, when we're done with that, we'll take a break. And in hour number two, we're going to be going down to Auckland, New Zealand to listen to a sermon. I don't know what to call this thing uh, by Phil Pringle. Uh, yeah, Phil Pringle, we all know, of C3. Um, the name of his sermon is entitled Prayer. And boy, this is bizarre. Um, during this sermon, you're going to hear, hear Phil Pringle make the claim that he has seen um, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's roughly about as tall as he is. And I won't uh, spoil it all for you, but some strange stuff uh, being said by Phil Pringle in this so-called sermon from the C3 Presence Conference. And uh, worth, in fact, so out there, it's worth reviewing and uh, warning people down there, Uh, that uh, Phil Pringle is uh, not somebody you want to be getting any of your doctrine from. This guy's source isn't God's word. Now, before we take our first break, let me remind you all that this coming Saturday, this coming Saturday, I will be lecturing at Trinity Lutheran Church in Norfolk, Virginia. Now, I understand the locals pronounce it differently there. And uh, if you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to travel to Norfolk, Virginia, would love to uh, have you there and to uh, meet you. I will be giving things to the people who uh, who are there in attendance. And uh, the details if you show up, uh, let's put it that way. But the uh, the name of my lecture is "How to Not Be Deceived, Bamboozled, or Schnookered by Religious Hucksters, Snake Oil Conmen." Or, your own idolatrous notions it's at, and i 'll be lecturing at Trinity Lutheran Church, and that 's located at six zero zero one Granby Street in Norfolk, Virginia. The doors open at nine in the morning, and my first lecture begins at nine thirty and the event itself will be going till three o 'clock and we 're going to actually do a group uh, project here at the, the, the last session we 're going to be doing a group project um see if you can put to put to use the tools that I will be giving you uh her- hermeneutical tools that I'll be giving you all at the uh, conference see if uh, we can put them together and uh, work as a, in teams to actually work something out biblically uh, it ought to be fun. But, uh, but again, there'll be a, a lunch break in the middle of it. It begins at nine thirty. doors open at nine o'clock goes till three o'clock admission is free. And uh, since I'm a monergist, I, I, hesitate to call You know, there's, n- there's no cost for attending. Uh, we will be taking a quote free will offering at the event. Um, you know, see, since I'm a monergist, I think I should call it a predestination Offering, But uh, you get what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to uh, having you all uh, attend. And uh, those of you uh, in the frozen north, in the frozen north, I will be doing this same set of lectures again in just a few more weeks on March 23rd, Saturday, March 23rd, at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. and uh, And that's just north of Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, and, and you know, if you have the opportunity to travel out to Grand Forks, uh, to you know, to Kongsvinger, um, you, it's it's a few hours away from uh, Minneapolis and and some other places. So if you have the ability to come out, again, it's going to be on Saturday, March 23rd, at uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, and same schedule. Doors open at nine. First lecture at nine thirty. Hour for lunch, and then um, and then there will be. Uh, uh, we'll finish up at three in the afternoon. Again, admission is free, and I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you all there. Now, with all of that, we're going to take our first break. And if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back from paying our bills. We got a Patricia King update. Apparently, it's your season of recovery. And then a part one of a two part uh, segment that we're going to be doing on Tony Jones discussing his atonement theory. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: No itching ears are scratched here.
4: You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
5: <laughs> Max Holidays Cage Theater presents.
2: Church
6: Day Select. Okay, then, uh, Mr. Haas, the results of the test have come back. Uh, Not good, that's what.
7: What do you mean? What's wrong with
5: me?
6: Where do you want me to start?
5: Is that all mine?
6: That and the seven other stacks of paperwork just like it. Oh dear. Oh dear indeed. I guess we can start off with the good news. Okay. You don't have cancer. Oh, thank God. Funny that you'd say that. Why? Now don't get ahead of yourself. As I said before, you don't have cancer. And that's about it for the good news. Moving on. This here is an X-ray of your esophagus and your stomach. Wait! what is are those? Please try to stay calm while I explain the prognosis. What? For the sake of contrast, I've included the same type of X-ray from a healthy patient. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Now I've seen my fair share of cases like these, but nothing is ever compared to what you've got going on.
5: Uh, are those?
6: Yes. Those are pentagrams emblazoned on the unprotected skin of your esophagus.
5: Is that the reason that- For your
6: heartburn? Oh no, not even close. If you look closely, we have identified this black lump in your stomach as brimstone. That is the cause of your heartburn. And no, Nexium won't fix it.
7: How can this be happening to me?
6: Well, to put it simply, you've contracted a religiously transmitted disease. But how? Well, there are many ways- One of the more common ways is to preach heresy and to openly accept the teaching of the devil and his ways. But, 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 but... Oh, trust me, this is only the tip of the iceberg. Do you know how much sulfur we found in your Golan?
5: You found what in my
2: what?
6: Sulfur, you see, it's normal to find in some of the victims of possession. But you were something extraordinary. We found three whole pounds of it in there.
2: Three pounds?
6: Don't even get me started on the pH of your blood, though. Hoo-wee! There was some nasty stuff. Melted right through our equipment when one vial exploded in the centrifuge. Yes, sir. You've got yourself a really nasty religiously transmitted disease.
7: What am I gonna do?
6: For starters, I would stop spewing those lies you passed off as sermons down at your church. That should start to alleviate some of the burning sensations. I don't! On that note, I would suggest some good old fashioned expository teaching because the only thing that's gonna fight off this disease is the Word of God. I-
2: what I'm hearing.
6: That's obvious. You certainly won't be able to unless a father himself draws you.
2: There's got to be an easier way.
6: i got to ask you, have you considered baptism? What's
2: that got to do with anything?
6: Oh, I don't know. Circumcision of the heart, not done by human hands for the forgiveness of your sins. Ring any bells?
7: You're not being helpful.
6: Well, if you don't want to do any of that, I guess all I can do is fill out your prescriptions. Here you go.
2: What? lack like supposed to do oh
6: trust me you're gonna need it
5: You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tycrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating. When you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. Missouri
1: the spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner and the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare hotel and rental car than you need to That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. That web address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could get you in trouble at your church, especially if, well, you start to challenge false doctrine that's being taught there, which it shouldn't be taught there at all. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not, then uh, please join our crew. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see the two friendly yellow buttons. The one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's not a lot of money. Uh, on a monthly basis, $6.95, hardly anything. But it means a lot to us because the more people that join our crew, it helps level out our giving month-to-month so that we can you know, properly budget and also pay our bills. And so it's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero. Moving along, have you, well, been in a rough season? Have you felt like, you know, David did when he came into Ziklag and there was nothing there? You know, if so, spiritually, good news. Patricia King has received a recent word from the Lord and apparently now it's your season for recovery. Yeah, here's Patricia King with the details.
7: The Lord's uh, shown me that many of you that are watching this clip have been in a time or season in your life where it's just been horrific. It's kind of like what he gave to me was the story of, of David going into Ziegleg and finding that everything was gone, everything was taken, shattered. It was like he was overwhelmed because it was such a season of loss for him. Um, so he went to inquire of the Lord, and he said, What do you want me to do? And the Lord said in 1 Samuel chapter 30... And it's verse eight, and he he said, "Shall I pursue this bound? In other words, shall I go after you know what was stolen from me?
1: Um, yeah. Um, real quick question here: Where are any of us mentioned in First Samuel chapter thirty? Oh yeah, nowhere. Um, this is th- there's nothing there for us in first. Samuel chapter 30 is at least some kind of a promise as far as pursuing and overtaking the one who's taken stuff from us.
7: And the Lord's answer to him in that verse was, pursue, overtake, and recover all. And that came so strong to me for you that I believe that, that you have a... It,
1: it did? It came so strong from... oh yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, what's the source here? Um... The, more than likely, uh, the the source of this is Patricia King's own uh, really overactive imagination um, and not God the Holy Spirit. But that being the case, there's, there's actually a legit second possible source. And again, it's not God the Holy Spirit because Patricia King teaches false doctrine. Um, so the one thing we can rule out is that she's actually getting any information from God the Holy Spirit. Oddly enough, the second source, uh, rather than the traditions of men, this would be the doctrines of demons. Uh,
7: A word from the Lord that says you go after the enemy. You know, it says in the uh, Bible that when you catch a thief in the act, he has to restore seven times that which he stole, and you get to plunder his whole house.
1: Wow, yeah. So go after that demon that stole your stuff, because then you get to plunder his house and get all your stuff back. This is like playing a country and western music song backwards.
7: I I like to make him sorry that he ever tried. But I see recovery of losses in the area of finances. I see recovery of lost relationships, lost marriages.
1: Apparently there will be no recovery of sound doctrine for Patricia King. Uh,
7: Lost relationship with children. I I see recovery of health situations. It's like I see recovery, recovery, recovery. Recovery of stolen property even. And I think some of it is going to be so supernatural that, that even things that were stolen even a while back, are all of a sudden going to appear. And you'll know that it was an angel that brought it to you or something because it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I've had um, situations like that myself where where there was no reason for it. You just knew that you looked in that place, it wasn't there, and all of a sudden, there it was. A restoration of that which is lost, a recovery of what was stolen even. And so, in fact, I have a friend, who had a ring stolen, and, and it was like far away. I mean, in another nation, they were in another nation from when that ring went missing, that, um, that they just believed God, and God supernaturally brought that ring to them right there on the spot. I mean, our God can do things like that. So I want to prophesy over you. I want you to know that this is a season of recovery for you. If you can believe that, it'll just put it in motion and angels will start to to be... De- yeah, boy, I,
1: I don't want Patricia King prophesying over me. That something terrible might happen
7: dispatched by god you know it says that the angels this is out of psalm 103 verse 20 it says that the angels they actually respond to the voice of the lord's word so we give them give them the voice of his command and so what
1: they respond to the voice of the lord's words that would be the lord's words not yours
7: in the name of jesus
1: oh no You might want to put on something here. I'm going to play this. Uh, So you might want to take a defensive posture, assume the crash position, tinfoil pyramid hats, bending straws, padding, duct tape, whatever, whatever is necessary to ward whatever this is off.
7: I speak recovery over you. Oh, brother. Of losses, recovery of things that are stolen.
1: Yeah. We need to speak recovery of sound orthodoxy for you, Patricia. I don't know if it's possible.
7: Recovery of your reputation, recovery of friendships and lost relationships, recovery of your health. It is a season of recovery in Jesus' name.
1: Okay, um, I think I should probably just move along. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern philharmonic orchestra conducted by Doug Paget, second fiddle Tony Jones. Uh, this is their homage to Friedrich Nietzsche's uh, nihilistic philosophy from Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra. you can tell they've been set free from all those pesky limiting definitions of modernist notes and they are just being led by the spirit as you can tell this is just so much better music than what we would get from like classically trained musicians because the spirit is guiding them listen in That postmodern music is so much better than that modernist music, got to tell you. All right, so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be playing part one of a two-part series that we're going to do here. Is it, can it be a series if it's two parts? Well, I, I will assume that it can since we live in a postmodern era. But uh, Tony Jones recently appeared on a kind of you know mainstream evangelical television program called The Harvest Show. And my question for the folks over there that run the Harvest Show, are they not aware that Tony Jones is a full-blown heretic? I mean, what he's teaching here isn't biblical at all. Now, I want you to consider the source. Listen carefully for where Tony Jones gets his theological ideas from. It comes a little bit later in this first segment, but... I'm going to play, you know, we're breaking this up into two parts so we can get part one and part two. Part one today, uh, Tony Jones gives us a little bit of the, you know, the background of the emergent church movement itself and what it's up to and how it's still alive, unfortunately. And then tomorrow he's going to talk about his his ideas regarding the atonement. But again, consider the source. So uh, here is Drew Summerall interviewing Uh, Tony Jones this morning on the Harvest Show. Here we go.
0: Our guest today is the theologian in residence at Solomon's Porch. He teaches at several seminaries. He earned his Ph.D. at Princeton Theological Seminary, and he blogs daily at patheos.com. Tony Jones, thanks so much for joining us today on the set of Harvest. Good to have you in here today. Uh, we definitely want to get to uh, the atonement and the new uh, ebook that came out just well, like six months ago or so. Yeah. But uh, first I want to ask you, you're one of the, uh, consider one of the leaders of what is called emergence Christianity. And I think that there's a lot of people who maybe have heard the word emergent mm-hmm. or even the word emergence, but it's kind of at times unclear exactly what that is. So from Tony Jones himself, but what exactly wow. is, I know it's hard to define, but what is emergence yeah. Christianity?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, we just had a conference last month that uh, a lot of people came to, and I still think it's interesting that uh, maybe 10 years into this movement of emergence, even the name is shifting, and mm-hmm. uh, how people understand its impact on the church is changing, um, Really, in the in the late 90s, a lot of us who maybe were seen to be heirs of what had gone before, of big suburban megachurches and things like that, just felt like the whole thing that was laid out before us, Christianity in, in America, it it really wasn't working the way we thought it should be
1: working. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so Christianity wasn't working the way you thought it should be working. Who's being the judge there as to you know whether or not Christianity is working correctly? God's word or Tony Jones and his comrades? Go with the second. Oh, um, people
4: came at some kind of, they wanted to kind of reform or rethink the church. And people really came at it from two different avenues. Some people came at it from like, the church is broken. We need to fix the way we do church. hmm Some people came at it from like the way we understand the gospel is broken, we need to rethink the gospel. I can't. So
1: the gospel's broken, we need to rethink it. Now, by the way, I mean, this is a, a possible legitimate concern here. And you'll note on uh, Fighting for the Faith, we regularly point out the fact that there are lots of things being called the gospel out there in evangelicalism that when we open up God's word to see if it really is the gospel, we find that it's not what's the gospel that's proclaimed in Scripture. It's a false gospel that's being taught in Christian churches. So, I mean, it's one thing to have a legit concern here, but Tony Jones, you know, he's not a big bible guy no um we'll continue again just consider the source where is he getting this information from came at it from that latter one yeah. but other
4: people came at it more from like the method of how we do church and we all kind of converge at this place of saying
1: let's let's rethink the whole thing and so this the last So we're going to rethink just all of christianity the entire thing altogether. just rethink it Boy, you know, that's some major hubris if if you're not going to think it rethink it in light of the clear teaching of the word of God. You know what I'm saying?
4: This decade has kind of been a journey of trying to to rethink that.
1: And
0: there's certainly been some you could say a, a step more establishment type folks who have been somewhat resistant to some of this movement. Yeah. What why do you think that is?
6: Well,
4: it was all fine for a lot of people, oh, if you were to go back to 2003, 2004, a lot of people in the established church were, they were cool with it. They were like, uh, yeah, we need to rethink the church. Like, we did the same thing when we stopped wearing robes and we got rid of the organ and we brought in guitars and the pastor wears a Hawaiian shirt now. But then when we said we need to rethink the whole enterprise of Christianity, like, there are ways we think we're getting the gospel wrong. They're like, oh, no, yeah. step off, bro. Like, that's... That's too much. We're not talking about rethinking the gospel. We're talking about just rethinking the way we do church. Mm-hmm. So when we were saying, look, the way we do church and the gospel there, you can't separate the two. We're doing church this way because of the way we understand the gospel. So let's rethink the whole endeavor. That's when people started to say, I don't think this thing's for me.
1: I met- <laughs> Right, um, because what Tony Jones has been promoting is flat out contradicted by Scripture itself in clear, unambiguous language, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. We continue. I mentioned uh, a
0: moment ago the the big blog at uh, at Pathos, the uh, Theo bloggy. Yeah, you get a lot of traffic there. What? Yeah. What, what do you? How do you see, especially the internet, um, going along with the future? Of Christianity. Well, I mean... What role does it have to play?
4: I think, uh, and you, you, I bet you and I would agree on this, that the, the Internet is clearly not a fad. It's, it's literally reshaping the social structure of our culture. And... No longer are there theological gatekeepers who can keep people from exploring for themselves. So yeah. people don't necessarily go to their bishop or their pastor or their seminary professor and say, look, tell me what orthodox theology is, and then I'll I'll embrace that wholeheartedly. People are like, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about people in positions of power. I'm going to go search it out for myself. And a lot of people who've never been to seminary, like, start theological blogs because they're working out their own thoughts and ideas and opinions online.
1: They're working out their own thoughts, their own opinions. What, what's the source of the doctrine that he's talking about? God's word or the thoughts of human beings? I'm In real time, and other
4: people are commenting and feeding back, and so the reason I blog so much, I'm I just I blog incessantly. Yeah. A couple times a day I post. Because I just want to be part of that ongoing theological conversation.
0: Now what's what's kind of funny to me, I was actually at the uh, the, the conference recently and I'm sitting there
1: amongst uh, So Drew Summerall of Harvest Show attended the Emergence Conference in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, if you've seen Drew, I mean, well, he's a young guy. It makes me wonder if uh, he um, is being honest with the folks that run the program. I think he has relatives up in high places there um, that he doesn't actually believe historic Orthodox Christianity.
0: A group of folks who would be like any other group of folks you'd see at any church across America. I'm listening to Phyllis Tickle speak, and I'm thinking – What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all pretty standard stuff.
1: Yeah. No, it's not. I've heard Phyllis Tickle speak numerous times. I have yet to hear her say anything that is Orthodox Christianity.
0: So w- w- why why are some folks seemingly so upset about the even the idea of what's being put out there by yeah. folks like yourself or Brian McLaren or Phyllis Tickle?
1: Well, let me answer that question. The reason why is because what Brian McLaren, Phyllis Tickle, Tony Jones, Doug Paget, and others have been doing as their project for the past decade is literally deconstructing, undermining, rethinking historic biblical Christianity. And what they've replaced it with is a form of postmodern liberalism that is gay affirming denies the doctrine of original sin is universalistic in its uh, in its outcome i mean it's absolutely just a hodgepodge of strange stuff it dabbles In full-blown monastic mysticism, Uh, that would be you know just from starters. I mean, then we could talk about how Brian McLaren and his book, A New Kind of Christianity, has just on his own with uh, on his own authority just concocted and brewed up his own uh, version of Christianity, and it's not even remotely close to the historic Orthodox Christian faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints in fact brian mclaren in order to create space for his new version of christianity literally has got he had to do some kind of philosophical and theological somersaults and twistings in order to basically move out of the way the clear passages of scripture that contradict his new christianity that's the problem
4: yeah, the con it's what's been there's been an interesting shift in the whole conversation around the emerging church, in that we went from being kind of darlings of evangelicalism, where they were saying, hey, we're always about rethinking the methods of church. Mm-hmm. As as the theology also was being rethought, evangelicals started to sour on it. And a lot of mainline churches, a lot of Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, United Church of Christ people, the people who are considered mainline, or even some people call them liberal Christianity.
1: Because that's what they are. So in other words, as they were rethought the, the theology and doctrine of Christianity and came up with their own evangelicals which still who still for the most part believe the idea that the bible is god's word that it's inerrant that it tells us the truth that it can be relied upon uh they soured on the emergent church and guess who warmed up to them? mainline liberal denominations who deny the authority of scripture Uh uh-huh they've
4: become more intrigued saying um you the 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 rethinking theology isn't threatening to us mm-hmm. but uh boy we really need to change how we do church cuz it's not working we're we're losing uh members young people aren't coming young
1: families aren't bringing their kids to our churches our church because the liberal theology in these mainline denominations is powerless to raise people spiritually from the dead and it looks exactly like just the american culture Brought in to control the message of what's being preached from the pulpit. Churches
4: are shrinking and dying. So, like, what can we learn? And we, and they, they, the thing is, then they come to our thing and we're like, destroy the denominations, like, kill the bureaucracy. That's, it's stifling the gospel when you have all this bureaucracy mm-hmm. around these denominations. And, like, whoa, dude. <laughs> We're just looking to like maybe make a five to seven percent shift of course you know mm-hmm. course correction and I'm like look if you want the Titanic
0: not to hit the iceberg you need to turn it more than five mm-hmm. degrees you know now, w- w- you, you, w- we keep using the word theology mm-hmm. I want to know how, how do you define that word because I
1: know that now a- listen very carefully to this now I, I'm going to assert here something here and that is this okay theology is it's you know words about god it's the study of god now i'm going to basically say that without an authoritative source something that you can truly trust and rely upon we know very very little about god in other words if god doesn't reveal himself to us there's there's not much that we can all agree upon regarding God. We can we can speculate we can speculate about God, and that's what it basically boils down to. And I would point you to the historic um, world religions. You know, Buddhism, um, Hinduism. Uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, I would go with Zoroastrianism. You can even go with Jainism and some of the other, and Taoism, and all these, uh, you know, even animism and pantheism, these concepts out, that are out there. And what you look at in, in the historic world religions, uh, you can even go back in time, go back to the uh, the, uh, the deities of Egypt or the Greco-Roman world, you know, Zeus and Athena and, and those deities. What you basically come up with here is is that Um, there is no consensus about who God is, whether there's one God, many gods, or whatever, when you sample all the different religions out there, okay? So without God revealing himself to us in some way that is authoritative, that can be trusted and relied upon, um, we are left, well, in utter darkness regarding god now the creation itself basically screams at us that there is a creator okay and it's and philosophically there's a tight argument for the existence of a creator due to the fact that the universe itself is not eternal it has a beginning okay and it's moving towards its end so the question is you know who put all of this universe together and spun it off who, who did it? Is it a god? Many gods? Is it, you know, what's his name or her name or their names? You, you, you get what I'm saying? So we know from the creation itself that there's a creator. We know that uh, the creator or creators are powerful and things like that. Um, but aside from that, not much else. I mean um, something's wrong with the world because of, you know, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes. Floods and and destruction and death and something you know so we know there's something wrong we know that there's a create but we are pretty much groping in the dark unless God gives us an authoritative source that we can go to where He has revealed Himself to us and by the way we Christians have that and what I mean is is that you know Jesus Christ claimed to be none other than the one true God in human flesh he proved this claim by raising himself from the dead and he put his stamp of approval on the uh, on the bible the old testament as well as the new testament that was to be written by his apostles okay jesus quotes the old testament as the authoritative Word of God, and so we know from you know from the you know the the writings of the Torah, the prophets, the histories, uh, the Psalms that this is the this that Jesus considered this uh, the authoritative Word of God, and he quotes it as such and says that heaven and earth will pass away, but th- that won't. So we know that, and then we have Jesus's words, you know, that he spoke himself as recorded by the eyewitnesses in the apostolic record, which is in the uh, New Testament. So we can trust that and we know a lot then about god from that authoritative source. So if you're if you're going to do theology, okay? If you're going to actually be a theologian, a Christian theologian, then you think of theology much the same way that astronomers think of when they when they look into the night sky and they pull out their telescopes it, basically it's this that theology like astronomy is an observational science okay it's an observational science, and what you focus on is really critical what you ha and by the way all theologians have at least Christian theologians have the same set of data and that's in the revealed written word of God. And because Jesus trusted it, quoted quoted it as authoritative, said that he would give his apostles a special miraculous ability to recall the things that he said and did, and that they wrote these things down for us, we can trust their writings as well as authoritative and as inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Um, I don't have to grope in the dark anymore. God has flipped on the lights. In fact, that's kind of the whole point of uh, the the major point that the Apostle John is making in his gospel. uh, Chapter one, where he says that light has come into the darkness. Okay, Jesus is the light. He's the word of God made flesh and light has come into the world. But men like the darkness and they don't like the light. Okay, So the question that as we as you listen now to Tony Jones's explanation as to his definition of theology, okay, is this the same definition that Jesus had? That's the legit question that you have to answer because here's the deal. It it's all comes down to sources. What's your source? Is it the trustworthy, reliable, inerrant, inspired by the Holy Spirit Word of God? Or is it a human source? If it's a human source, you should not trust it at all, okay? Again, that's like drinking from the local sludge pond and thinking that's good drinking water. You're going to get sick on that stuff. So let's back this up and, again, listen to Tony Jones's definition of theology, you know.
0: Now, we keep using the word theology. Mm -hmm. I want to know, how how do you define that word? Because I know that a lot of, you could maybe say old guard, when you start talking about like, well, we're rethinking theology. They're going, no, 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 you're just talking philosophy. Because theology is just the basic orthodox tenets that the church, evangelical church may hold. So how do you even define what you call theology? Well, most people probably think of theology as what's called
4: second-order discourse. So, you and I... Second what? Uh, What systematic theology did you get that from? I had dinner last night. If I Now, if you and I are talking about, like, hey, that dinner was pretty good last night. I had this pasta thing, and you had a buffalo burger. This is second-order discourse. We're talking about something that happened. Mm -hmm. And that's what people think of usually as philosophy or theology. You take a step back, and you talk, and you reflect on something. Mm -hmm. And I argue, actually, that theology, yes, it's second-order discourse. You and I can talk about God, or we can talk about Jesus, or in the next segment we'll talk about the atonement. But theology is also first-order discourse. In, in, this is what I mean. Everything a human being does
1: has latent theology in it. If you're- so in other words, everything you say or do, that's theology. Well, if that's the case, then every, everything is theology, then nothing's theology. Okay? With his definition, is there an authoritative source that you can go to to know anything with certainty regarding God? No. You're driving
4: down the road and somebody cuts you off and you give them a hand gesture. Like, that's a theological act in the first order of discourse. You're not stepping back and reflecting on it. You're just doing, if you open the door for somebody as you're walking into a building. Like, so I'm arguing that everything we do is latently theological. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I want people to think about it, talk about it, and, 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 and uh, embrace this idea that Theology is everything. It's all we do. Yeah. So theology
1: is everything. It's all that we do.
0: Well, definitely. The, I'd say the atonement probably falls into the category of theology. We've got to take a break. Uh, after this, more with Tony Jones.
1: Okay, so if theology is everything you do, how then do you come up with a doctrine of the atonement? Where would you go to? Do you go to the guy driving down the street who... Got cut off by another driver, and then gives them a obscene gesture out of his window. Is that where you go to find the doctrine of the atonement? Where do you go to you know, decide what is true and what is not true regarding something as vital and central to Christianity as Christ's death on the cross, the atonement? Um, when your source is everything. What does that even mean? Is that a reliable source? Is, is that where I go to find out what theology is? What the atonement is? Uh, what, who Christ is and what he's done? You see, you got to consider the source. The source will always tell you the story. If the source is, well, what Tony Jones is giving you, everything and anything, then what you're going to come up with is a theology that's nothing and nowhere. You need an authoritative source. That's why I dare not have a view of Scripture that is different than Jesus Christ's view because he claimed to be God in human flesh, proved it by raising from the grave on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and this was witness His you know, that he was alive after that was witnessed by more than 500 people. And he, as God in human flesh, authoritatively quotes Scripture, as well as his disciples authoritatively quote Scripture, and they tell us that it's God's will that we walk in the truth and not be deceived and led away. And what again? Let me come back to uh, what's written there in Second uh, John. Second John again, chapter. Uh, there's, there's only one chapter. Second John. Let me read again. From verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, uh, In the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full re- reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So if the source is God's word, correctly taught, rightly handled, it's sound doctrine. Abide in that. It is God's will. It is the will of the Father that that Christians walk in the truth and worship him in spirit and in truth. But if they go on ahead and do not abide in the word of God, but bring in their own speculation, their own twisted ideas of what theology is and make that the, the source by which they theologize and create doctrine and, the, and rethink Christianity, well, we're warned here in Scripture about such people. God's, God's Word calls them deceivers and antichrists. And that's exactly what Tony Jones is. Not, in my opinion, but according to the opinion of the Word of God, which is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. On the other side of the break, we're going to be reviewing a weird, and I mean weird, sermon by Phil Pringle of C3. Um, Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some...
2: Rah!
5: You're listening to Byron
6: Christian Radio.
1: The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, That web address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash chief. Thank you for your support.
6: Oh, hey. I didn't hear you come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it.
1: Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. This one is crazy. Phil Pringle, C3, out there in Australia, was at the uh, Presence Conference in Auckland, New Zealand, and claims that he's actually seen the Holy Spirit face-to-face. It's about, the Holy Spirit's about the same height as He is. Hang on. Let's do this right. Hey, hope. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's... I don't know what this is. Um, weird uh, ride on the uh, strange train... Uh, Comes to us via the C3 Presence Conference uh, in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, This is uh, presented by Phil Pringle. The name of this is entitled Prayer. And again, consider the source. Again, our sources here are the written, clear, exegeted Word of God, which you can trust, or human ideas, or, well, doctrines of demons. Those are kind of like your three choices. And based upon how he handles God's word, you should be able to pick out what the source is. All I know is that you're going to hear some strange stuff. You may want to assume the crash position and protect yourself if you're moving any heavy, deadly equipment or, you know, anything like that. In fact, let's just kill the music without any further ado. This is a weird one, folks. Here's Phil Pringle and his message entitled prayer from the C3 presence conference here we go
3: okay come with me uh over in in your bible would you this morning to uh mark 11 mark 11 this uh this subject is just so enormous because all all of this stuff here all of these books here is completely valueless if you don't understand what I'm I'm talking about here this morning this would be like Possibly the most important message that, that I, can, I can talk to you about. I do to talk to you about prayer this morning. You can survive six weeks without food. You can survive three days without water. But you can't, can't survive more than three minutes without air. Prayer is your spirit breathing. Um, where'd you get that from?
1: Where in the Bible, the source that I can trust, does it say that prayer is your spirit breathing? Just because you told everyone to open up their Bibles to Mark chapter 11 doesn't mean that Mark chapter 11 says anything of the sort. In fact, it doesn't. So we are off on the wrong foot. We continue.
3: The church... The church's lungs are its prayer meeting. And if it's not breathing, it will die. The prayer meeting is the easiest thing to die in any church that I know. It's always the smallest attended meeting. And the most vibrant churches I know in the whole world have perpetual prayer in them. They pray without ceasing. Dr. Cho's church, you can go there up on the prayer mountain and anytime you got there, there are 3,000 people fasting and praying between three days and 40 days and they're locked down in little holes in the ground and little holes in the hillside and they stay there for like six weeks fasting and praying. He prays three hours a day. He says, I'm so sad because I used to pray five hours a day. And, uh, and if you really do want to change the world, just getting excited isn't going to do it. If I want to
2: change the world,
1: what if I just want to do what Jesus has asked, and that's make disciples of all nations? I don't want to change the world. I want to preach Christ and Him crucified and raised again on, on the third day.
3: The fire of God that's in this place, you got it, you need to channel it down into sustainable disciplines.
1: The fire of God needs to be channeled down to sustainable disciplines. Again, do you all have any Bible verses that say anything even remotely like this?
3: Because if you wait for the next year's guess smart just to get all fired up again, between now and then is a long time. And then there's another year before the next get smart. And then you probably got about another sixty years of living. And and, and get smart, you know, I know it's an unbelievable conference and everything, but it's gonna come a day when you're married and got three kids and a mortgage and 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 you're gonna be doing something else somewhere in the world and you need something that keeps you keeps you connected to God. A habit, discipline in your life. When I in 1985 I started getting up at 5:30 in the morning and I've never stopped. I, I just get up every, every day and and I was this morning wandering around in the dark, five in the morning. but you know it's the most awesome thing in the world. I've spoken to 150,000 people in auditoriums, stadiums. They're pretty nice events. But nothing compares to Sitting in the quiet With God And we often talk about a relationship We say, hey, we're not into religion We're into a relationship But we've got no idea what we're talking about We think we've got this relationship Because it's God, he's over there somewhere You know, God's in my world, yeah, yeah But we actually We actually If we really ask ourselves, do I know him? Do I really know the Lord? Do I do I want Him more than I want anything else? I love God. Would I Would I get up in the morning so I could spend some time with Him? Would I just stop everything and shut the door? Because some of us are like 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 we're sanguine personalities, and to be alone with ourselves for too long is just like murder. You say, well, i got to shut the door. Yeah, yeah, go in there and and pray. And you're in there for five minutes and you hear some noise. And you say, what's going on out here? So when I was a a young uh, believer here in uh, in New Zealand in Christchurch, I heard a guy called Ed Miller who had been uh, involved in the Argentinian revival. And uh, he'd, he'd been praying between eight and 16 hours a day before that revival broke out in Argentina. I got very inspired by that. I thought, whoa, I'm going to do that. But I don't think I can pray for eight hours, God. I'm going to give it three. I'm going to do three hours. I was like six months old as a Christian. Now your spirit doesn't have that level of stamina when you first get born again. It's something you got to grow. It's the, the, the stamina for worship in some people lasts like three minutes. The stamina for prayer, you know, people kind of run out after a little while and gradually you get a biggest strength in your spirit, but you got to start it somewhere. And so, and so, I I went into my room and uh, at 23 Sherborne Street, Christchurch, which was our first home that we bought, and I had this little side room where I built a study and I was reading. A- okay, stop for a second. He
1: had everybody open their Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're five minutes, 32 seconds into this message. What's the source of everything that Phil Pringle has put forward as something that you and I need to do as Christians? Is it God's word or his own ideas and life experiences and things that he's gleaned from his own experiences? Answer, well, it's not God's word. It has to be something else. Is that pure drinking water or is that polluted drinking water?
3: Bible and I'd go in there and pray. And it wasn't a very big room. And I went in there and I said, okay, God, I'm going to pray for three hours. And I go, oh God, 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 God. And I'm walking around the room crying out to God. and I thought oh It's got to be like the first hour over. And I looked at my watch, five minutes. (laughs) Oh God. And the roof started coming down and the walls coming in. I'm thinking, I got another three hours in here. Oh, it's like being in prison. So I learned to hate prayer that day. Oh, I hate this. This is really boring. It's really awful. So I'm praying oh, God, 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 And then I then I then I started thinking, well, you know, like I keep hearing about seeking God. I don't quite know what that is, because cause when I met Jesus, like I was a complete pagan. I didn't I didn't know that God and Jesus were relatives when when I when I met the Lord, I thought God was somebody else and Jesus was this guy in history. And this was like a Jewish book. And, uh, and I had Abraham walking on the water and, uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I'd just gotten born again. And, uh, and, and people were talking like things like seek the Lord. And I said, seek the Lord. How do you, how do you seek an invisible person? How do you, how do you... so I, I hitchhiked down to Mount Cook. I thought I'm going to go down the mountains I'm going to climb up the foothills and, uh, I won't, you know, I wasn't planning on climbing at the actual mountain. I thought I would just, and I hired a hut down there for a dollar fifty a night. So it was, it was an unheated hut. And, uh, it was pretty cold. And anyway, I remember going into that hut and kind of got myself set up and I walked out on the side of this mountain and I just went, God! Cause I could, cause nobody could hear me, you know, like, it's not the sort of thing you do at home or in uh, out your backyard. I go, where are you? Are you here on the mountain? And I started looking behind bushes. I said, where are you? I was lifting up rocks. Said, are you there? I didn't know what, what seeking God was. But this is the best I could do. and then he came he turned up and that was that was very freaky for me because i I'd, i I'd, I'd not met god before but he i knew i knew he was there next to me like standing there i do not know what to do with god now <laughs> so i'm standing there so I, hello and uh
1: So God showed up, and now He's whistling. Well, this is weird.
3: I say, God, um, I I really like this feeling. You, you know, I like this. And I'm standing there, like, God, I, you know, I, I kind of, I think it's more than like. I think I kind of love you.
2: <laughs> You're very, very nice. You really. No, you, you.
3: Thank you for saving, you know, fixing me up. It's been very good. Thank you. Thank you for getting those demons out of me. That was, that was nice too. Yeah, thank you. God, I'm. Um, I gotta say it again. I really like you. Yeah, I like this feeling. Oh, this is this is very cool. I looked at my watch. I thought five minutes had gone by. One hour. So I realized right then that prayer is not about prayer. It's about connecting. It's about a relationship. Time goes like that. This morning, I'm sitting there thinking, I need more time. I always want more time. I want to stay there for a lot longer rather than just go away. But if you find you're praying and you can't wait till it's finished, you haven't hooked up yet. If prayer's boring and you hate it and it's not really something that you're excited about, it's time to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And more than anything else on this earth, he's got to be the quest, the high prize, that I may know him. Jesus is the ultimate destination for every single one of us. I mean, sure, he's going to call you to do things. He's going to ask you to do this and do that and be in ministry or maybe um, maybe go to, you know, preach to the I don't know, the giant pygmies in Africa or wherever, you know, and reach out to some fantastic group here or there. But it doesn't matter whatever it is. In the middle of it all, there's him. And, and you will find that, that he will do anything to really get that relationship going with you. So, you know, in, in Psalm 23, David starts out, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's like a theological statement about God. The Lord is my shepherd. Jeho- Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nitzi. You know, all these different names that mean what God is. You know, I know all about him. And, then-
1: uh, and which one of
3: those appears
1: in uh, Psalm 23?
3: This is weird. Then he moves on and he says, He will lead me beside still waters. I've moved from the Lord now to a person. He, where he revives my soul. He refreshes me. He leads me. It's, it's a person. I'm getting closer to them. But then he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And that's vastly different, just the Lord out here or he over there, but now it's you. I'm looking straight into the face of a person. And I'm saying, in the the middle of pain, I'm discovering God. In the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, I'm discovering Jesus. You know, you might find yourself in some painful moments.
1: We're not finding Jesus in the scripture. We're finding him in
3: experiences. I mean, once you've given your heart to God, he says, cool, we got them. Amen. Let's, uh, Let's now start to really get close. And because we are so distracted with so many things, it's not until we're really desperate in a moment of pain. And right in that moment of pain, this is what I want to say to you. If you've discovered that relationship, you'll run to God instead of from him when the pain hits. And you are going to find in your life moments that are very painful. You can think, God... You know, I thought if I if I if I met you and I followed you and brought my tithe and worship you that everything was going to be sweet. No, it's going to be a lot worse. If you'd want to, if you want an easy life, you should have been a Buddhist. This being a believer is going to cost you your life. And when you say I want to be radical for Jesus, when you get radical for him and you say I really want to touch the world, the number, the first thing he says is go and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Go into a... Uh, No,
1: no, Jesus doesn't tell us to go and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. That was a specific command given to the apostles after Christ's ascension. They were to go into Jerusalem and wait for Christ to send the Holy Spirit. That was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. This is about as non-lucid as any um, promotional video put out by Rob Bell recently.
3: Again, this is weird. Into a secret place. Go and get some power. Before Jesus even got his, got his, his whole public thing happening, he went out into the wilderness. And he learned what it was to fight the devil in prayer. And, and he learned what it was to draw near to God in prayer. And you've really got to have a heart to, to discover God in your, in your soul right here, right now. If I can just stir in you a heart for God, a heart that says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually change my life. I find that most people want to have a changed life without changing anything in their life. And if you want a changed life, you actually got to start a practice in your world that like prayer and prayer is at the baseline of everything. Without prayer, how are you going to resist the devil? Watch him pray that you might resist temptation. How are, we, how are you ever going to become an over... How are you ever going to hear God? How are you ever going to get led by the Spirit? How are you ever going to get revelation out of here? How are you ever going to have power in your inner man without prayer? Prayer is like your spirit breathing, and it should never stop all day long. The reason I say prayer... Now, we're 14, almost 15 minutes into
1: this. And there's only been one passage of Scripture referenced in passing, and that very poorly, and that was Psalm 23. Then he made a very weird, veiled allusion to the instructions of Jesus in the beginning of the book of Acts that has nothing to do with us, and now we're all over the place. What's the source of his teaching? The clear word of God? rightly handled, exegetically preached and proclaimed, using sound biblical hermeneutics, or is there a different source? I'm going to argue this is not from the Bible, so we're dealing with a different source, and that source is not pure doctrine. It's probably, well, toxic waste and bacterially ridden, horrible spiritual water that if you drink from it, you're going to get a spiritually transmitted disease. The morning
3: is because it's like popping the cork on your spirit. And all day long, that fountain just keeps bubbling up. So all day long, you're just talking to God on the inside of your heart in all kinds of prayer. You say, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. God, I ask you for this. And once once that well is opened up on the inside of you, God starts leading you, talking to you. Living on the inside of you, David had a heart for God. David, he, he, he sought God in the, you know, when he's out there with the sheep and he's playing on his harp, writes poetry. When when they ask where's David, you know, for the lineup, with for the kings, for the, for the next king who's going to replace Saul, they all go like, where's David? And Jesse, his father is kind of embarrassed about presenting David because all his other sons are big, strong guys. He's going like, "What well, David? I don't know if, if you want David."
2: He's, he's kind of he's
3: a little guy, and he—he um, he plays a harp. <laughs> he writes poetry. <laughs> what kind of a what kind of a warrior is this? What kind of a king is this going to be? They didn't know that you could mix art and war together. They didn't know that you could mix leadership and devotion to God together. And somehow David discovered what nobody else had. He discovered the presence of the Lord. When everybody else wanted to stay away from God, David wanted to get closer. Everybody said, "No, no, no, we don't want to go up there." Moses, you, you, you go up. You go up and meet with him. Well, to never.
1: You said David discovered the presence of God. No one wanted to be with him, and now you're quoting a passage from Exodus regarding Moses and the people of Israel saying, no, Moses, you talk to God. This is convoluted to the point where my question is, are we dealing with somebody who is sober? This, These are the ramblings of somebody to me that sounds like they may be taking a, a substance that's altering their mental state.
3: What about that? In fact, when, when they built this tabernacle, they had an outer court an inner court and a Holy of Holies, this little back room where they put God, they put the ark there and then the presence comes down on that. And one guy once a year could go in there called the high priest. You had to be of the line of Aaron. You had to be one of his descendants to actually get in there. And, and only one of you could go in there once a year. And they were also dead scared of going in. They'd put a rope around the guy's leg in case he died when he went in there in case God killed you. And, uh, and then he'd have bells around his coat so as long as they could hear the bells, they knew they were all alright. If the bells stopped ringing, they'd just have to drag him out. Nobody wanted to go in there. God had put it in the law. He said, I want one guy to come in here once a year. I guarantee if he hadn't put that in, nobody would have gone down there. But God was hanging out for fellowship, you see. So David David went all the way in there. He wasn't a high priest. He, w- he went into the presence of the Lord and he said, you know what? David went into the Holy of Holies? Really? i don't think that's what happened i want this for all of israel and so over in acts 15 16 it says god says i will rebuild the tabernacle of david not the one of moses not the one of zerubbabel not the one of herod not ezekiel's temple i want the i want the, i want to do life the way david did it and david, what i mean seriously he's like spinning his own bible passages now david he he said i'm so hungry for this presence as soon as I'm king, I'm going to get the presence of God back, back in the nation. And if you've if if you you got any quest at all on the inside of your spirit, you should be saying, like, when I get to be in leadership, when I get to be doing anything of any influence, I'm going to get presence back in the church. I'm going to get atmosphere back in the house of God. I'm going to get power on people's lives. I don't want just a do-good. You're going to get
1: atmosphere. Uh-huh where are all the big Bible passages that talk about getting atmosphere?
3: Christian life. I want a powerful life. I want a life that changes the world. I want a life that heals the sick and casts out demons. You know, so David goes down. He goes down to a place called Kerithurim, which is in the Philistine country. And he finds this ark. And he says, okay, let's bring it back. So he puts the ark on a cart with two brand new cows out the front. They were, they were New Zealand cows. Very nice dairy cows. Stuck them out the front. Had a brand new cart. Stuck the Ark on there. And they're rocking up through the road. And come out, come out of Nakon's threshing floor. And, and suddenly the Ark starts wobbling around on this cart. And so a young guy called Yuza puts his hands out. Steadies the Ark. But as soon as he touches the Ark, bam, he dies. David goes, whoa, I thought you'd be nice to me if I bring you back to Israel. He says, what do we do now? God's killing people. So he takes the ark up and he puts it in a, in the garage of Obed-Edom, right next to the track. Is he actually reading a biblical text? Nope. Uh, Matthew Ferguson
1: in What's really the source of this? This isn't God's word being rightly
2: handled.
3: And the big truck and all the hay bales, you know. And it's a bit late in the day. So he goes up on the, on the door of Obed-Edom's house, puts a little sign, had a little trouble with the ark, have left it in your garage. And the ark is sitting in the garage. You've all seen Raiders. You know, it's going, all night long, lights coming out from between the boxes. In the morning, Obed-Edom comes down and his wife is singing. Which is kind of unusual. She's not really a morning person. She's kind of grumpy in the mornings. She kind of throws porridge around. This morning she's cooking bacon and eggs. And the kids are watching The Simpsons. and not killing each other. It's like a different house. It's like, I wake up in the right place? And then he goes outside. He says, I'll go get the eggs. He walks down to the chicken shed. And, and he walks in. And all the chickens are smiling. You ever seen a chicken smile? It's a weird thing. And... Picks, up, picks up the first one, 23 eggs under this chur. Puts them on the basket, picks up the next one, 47 eggs. He says, what's wrong with you chickens? What have you been doing all night? You know, it's like, he walks out, he looks over at a cornfield that he just planted yesterday and all the corn's like 20 feet tall. He looks out and sees the sheep like it's the middle of winter and uh, not even springtime, but they've all had triplets overnight. Everything's gone crazy on his farm. And he comes up to his back door and he sees this little note flapping in the wind. King David had a little trouble with the ark. He goes out into the garage. He looks at him. Now, Obed-Edom's Philistine. He's not a Jewish guy he loved that presence. It was there for about three months. And David heard that he was getting blessed. He said, I've got to get that ark back. So this time he read the Bible, he said, how am I going to get this thing? How am I going to get this presence back? So he reads, it's got to be carried on, that, on the shoulders of people. He was trying to bring it back on a program. Because other churches were doing it. And he thought, if he, if, if he does it like they do it, they're going to get this presence back. What are you talking about? What's the point of having a Bible if you don't even read it? And then you just make stuff up. But you realize, no, 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 it's carried on people who have paid a price. People who pray. People, it comes on people. It doesn't matter what you do. Your methodology is inconsequential. It's who you are, not what you do. And so when, you, when you're trying to figure out how does that church grow? So where does the Bible say that methodology
1: is inconsequential? I'm not familiar with that passage.
2: Don't,
3: don't try to figure out what they do. Figure out who they are. What kind of people are they? What are they? Know what, what their program is. That's the fruit. That's just like the little 10% at the end. God could care less what he uses. He says, says to Moses, well, let's deliver three million Israelites. He says, how will I do it? He says, well, what do you got? What's in your hand? He says, I got a stick. He says, we'll use that. Let's use the stick. So, so Moses lifts the stick up. She's split. But it's not the stick. It's the man. When he's getting tired, Aaron and Hur don't say, hey, hey, we'll hold the stick up. You know, let's just share stick around. We'll just, we'll just all take turns. They realized it was Moses. He was the man with God in his world. And so they helped him hold it up. You can't just share the methods that God has given a guy around. You've got to actually become somebody yourself. God commits himself to you, not to the methods. Methods are not sacred, they will change. People are sacred. People who have waited in that upper room and gotten the clothing on their lives, clothing from the power of God. So when we first went to Sydney, I'm praying one night in our, in our lounge, walking up and down. I couldn't sleep. and I'm walking up and down and I turn around and suddenly there's a person over on the other side of the room who wasn't there before. Okay, th- th- listen to this. And the person was kind of not completely visible to me, just just standing there in the dark. And suddenly my spirit jumped on the inside of me. Like like it it wasn't a nervous feeling. And it was the Holy Spirit. And I got such a shock. Because I'm thinking the Holy Spirit is a cloud. He's a blob that floats around church, isn't he? It's not a person, but he's a person. God never calls the Holy Spirit it. He calls him he, and he has been sent in the place of Jesus.
1: Now, I agree that the Holy Spirit is a person, but I have zero confidence that this apparition that appeared before you was God the Holy Spirit. The first thought I had was, He's the same height as me. So the Holy Spirit's the same height as Phil Pringle. Who knew? And that was really weird to me. That was very very unusual because I... Now, here's my question. Why should I believe that that was God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity, that appeared to Phil Pringle when this entire sermon or message he has totally mangled and made up god's god's word just just messed it up mangled it twisted it isn't rightly handling it isn't correctly teaching it making assertions from his own life as if they are somehow you know divine wisdom coming from god himself there's no reason to believe that phil pringle has actually had a face to face with god the holy spirit seriously no reason whatsoever
3: I always thought the Holy Spirit would be huge. Like this would be his big toe right there and his next toe. He's about this high. I've had two encounters like that. He said some stuff to me in that moment. Second time I, I, I saw him was just like for a flash in an altar call where well, all these people were down there. And I went, walked down these steps to pray for these people. And there was this person in the second row going like this. And I could see him as clear as a bell. Looked like a person. Looked like a person was there. And he's going like, looking after all these people, but nobody else could see him. They're just standing there. heads, And he's going straight in front of them. And they, they don't even see him. I go like, whoa, this is weird.
1: And, uh, and then- so Phil Pringle is seeing things. It's not God, the Holy spirit. Like I said, I mean, this message doesn't sound like it's being given by somebody capable of lucid thought. So in this message, he's now confessing that he's seeing things. Maybe the correct explanation for this message and what he's seen is that uh, Phil Pringle is no longer mentally healthy. Maybe he's actually suffering from a bona fide mental illness. Because none of this is biblical Christianity. Otherwise he'd be opening his Bible and preaching what the Bible says in context and rightly handling it. Instead, these are his experiences, and now he's seeing apparitions and he thinks it's the Holy Spirit. He
3: knows that I'm looking at him and he goes like like this. He says, Hi. That was it. And he was gone. I go, wait, 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 wait. But he was gone. From my view, anyway. He just let me know that he's there when we're doing these altar calls. And if I'm listening to him right, some very powerful stuff can happen. Some very powerful things can take place if you just follow the Holy Spirit. Now, a third, I, the third encounter that I had with him, I didn't see him, but I heard him. So I was, I was about to go to work. Uh, we had just, you know, started our church, and it was growing pretty fast in Sydney, Australia. And in those days, I would, you know, get up, put my briefcase in, we'd hide a little office, and I would go off to the office, like a very important... You know, pastor and all this kind of thing and I'm going out through the door I've got my, my jacket on and my suit on And in Australia we have a fly screen door You have your, your, your front door You open up the door And then you open up the fly screen And uh, and so I'm in between the front door and the fly screen Okay, and right there the Lord says to me Go back inside and pray And I'm, I'm standing there going like arguing with God I'm going, well, why didn't you tell me Before I got all dressed up and ready to go out You know, this is, is this the devil Or is this me or is this, you know and I'm thinking, Well, did the devil tell you to go pray? Uh, you know, probably not. And uh, so I'm going backwards and forwards, doing this argument in my mind. And Chris can see me from the kitchen. She's, you know, like, watching me going back and forth. She's, what are you doing? I said, shut up, woman. Amen. Anyway, I'm arguing with God. <laughs> so I go back inside. And I take everything you know, jacket off, shoes off, pull the blinds. I'm walking around our bedroom speaking in a heavenly language because I don't know what to pray about at all for about one hour. And then I think, at the end of an hour, oh, I must've, what was that about? You know, I must've missed it because nothing's happening. There's nothing real special about it. So I'm getting ready just to finish. As soon as I thought that, it was like a, a switch went in in the inside of me got flicked, and bam, I was not in that room anymore. I was somewhere else. I feel like I'm floating in outer space, and I'm praying, not, I would say, in any kind of language I've ever learned. I'm speaking in, a, in like the time. What is the source here?
1: God's word or his experiences? It's not God's word. This is a false source. This isn't sound doctrine. This is false doctrine on its face because its source is not God's word.
3: ...of angels. I'm, and I have not had many experiences like this at all, but I'm going, And uh, what is that? And, uh, and so in my mind, I can see this prayer being translated into English, and I'm listening to it, and it's coming to my ears as English, coming out of my mouth like that. I 'm going this, this is like really weird, but then I started listening to the prayer, and it was phenomenal. I realized that the Holy Spirit was was praying a prayer through me. but here's the very cool thing: the prayer was for me. it wasn't just through me, it was like for me and so and the attitude was amazing. The attitude was like real attitude. it was like frightening. It was like he had his hands on his hips. Legs astride. So now God, your servant Phil Pringle has been very faithful to you. You've blessed this man. He started naming these these, these pretty heavy hitters around the world. He said, You bless this man, and you bless this man, you blessed him, and you blessed him. Now it's time to bless your servant Phil Pringle. I've gone, come on, amen. This is awesome. You are my friend. You are my helper. You are my advocate. And that's exactly what he is. He is the one called alongside to help you with your prayers to God. He's a real person. And he's come to earth to empower us in the church. When we ignore him, we invent all kinds of substitutes for this power. In the next session, Andrew Kabbalah will now.
1: The irony here is that Phil Pringle, well, he's created a substitute for the Word of God. And that's his experiences. This isn't sound biblical doctrine. He's gone beyond Scripture. He's He's not abiding by it at all. He's not abiding in the words of Christ or pointing us to the words of Christ. This is his life, his ideas, his theology. Not the Bible's theology and God's ideas. Pray
3: for sick people and they will be healed. He has a gift. The Holy Spirit imparts that gift. I get a gift of miracles every now and then, which covers everything from houses, finances, you know, healings and 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 you gotta work miracles, and when you hear God talking about these things, they happen. We were talking last night about a girl in our church who, who came out with a broken foot recently and I told her to start jumping and jumping and she was crying and with the pain, you know, really was hurting a lot. I said, don't keep jumping. And uh, the only reason I'm doing that is because I know there's a miracle at some point it's going to go out of me and, and hit her. In fact, at this
1: at this meeting in Auckland might my- be... So there was a girl that you were supposedly healing miraculously... Who was jumping up and down on a leg she shouldn't be jumping up uh, up and down on, and she was in severe pain because the energy of the miracle hadn't left your body to enter her?
3: Uh Uh-huh. Five years? Because where in the Bible does this happen? ago, six years ago. Uh, I'm not sure this girl might even be here. I'm not not sure. But uh, I remember at the end of one meeting, there was a girl, uh, you know, I I had this this word, there's a girl here with uh, a broken ankle, broken foot, something. And uh, would you come down here? And this girl comes out with all wrapped up plaster crutches going, like this down the front. I'm going, oh no, this is awful. You know, she's really... I wish something easier was coming. and uh, But she, come, she comes down, okay, and, and, and I know I've got a miracle on the inside of me for her. And she comes down and she says, uh, you know, I say, okay, what, what's happening? And she says, I've got this ankle. Before she can finish a sentence, I leaned down and grabbed her crutches and threw them away. And while I'm doing it, I'm going, what are you doing? <laughs>
1: So far, we have heard nothing, absolutely nothing from God's word in context, sound biblical exegesis. He's exegeting his life and telling these kids at this conference that this is what God wants for them. What's the source? Is it pure doctrine or are, we, are these kids basically drinking
3: from a sludge pond? So I, I just, you know, got a little flamboyant, and did that, and and then I said, now, now I want you to walk with, I want you to walk with me. I don't know if were any of you there. This, you know, I, you might remember it. But anyway, what well, I'm walking along the, the 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 stage with her in a church in this town, wasn't it, uh, Andrew? Somewhere, and uh, you were there that night, and and so she's walking along, and she and I said, come and walk with me, because a miracle, or something, it says the working of miracles. Okay. You, they don't just happen like that. Most miracles take a little time.
1: Really, they, they don't just happen like that. They take a little bit of time, huh? Yeah, um, seems to be that uh, the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, um, who they were all miracle workers. There was no take some time, you know. Yeah, is what was it? Miracle Max from the uh, the Princess Bride. You know, he had that chocolate-covered, you know, miracle that uh, would raise Wesley from the dead, but it would take some time to reach potency. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're getting your theology from the Princess Bride rather than from the Bible.
3: And it's, that's just horrible because cause, cause you walk through this really emotionally difficult moment when, when a miracle is happening. So she's walking and she's going, ow, 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 ow. She's like that, ow, and she's crying with the. P- and,
1: and so God wanted her to have all of this pain, while she waited for the miracle to hit potency.
3: This is not the God of the Bible. and after about three, four times walking along here, I can see I'm losing everybody. They're you know folding arms and. The pastors are looking at me and say, oh, you cruel man. You know, was like, and it took maybe four minutes, five minutes, really painful minutes. You go, ow, 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 ow. Oh, oh, you know, it's, it's feeling a little better. I said, come for a run. So we're going, and she goes, ow, 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 ow. And then she says, you know, that's feeling better. I said, okay, now do this. And so she goes.
1: I mean, this is like a, you know, a spiritual malpractice lawsuit type of evidence being spoken of here.
3: I said, do it again. Ah, ah, ah." She goes, oh, you know what? It's not hurting anymore. It's not hurting anymore.
1: And the next thing you know, she was tap dancing.
3: She started jumping around. Leaping and jumping. Dancing.
1: And none of this is has anything to do with what the Bible actually says or teaches. None of it.
3: The next night, she came with two X-rays. One two days before, and then this one that she went to the doctor the next day. There was a crack all through her the bones of her leg. And the previous one, the second one, she got that day. All the crack had gone. She's completely healed like that. Bam.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see that evidence. I've heard so many so-called miracle workers make claims like this that when the evidence is asked to be produced, it never is able to be produced. What's the name of this girl? What year did this happen? How old was she? How long had she been in the cast? And uh, and where are these x-rays today.
3: The reason, I, the reason I tell you that is that excitement doesn't make that happen. A power from heaven makes that happen. And for every one, one minute of, of, of touching a life, you need about five hours of touching God. For every 30 minutes of preaching, I know I need a day with God to find to find the voice, to find the the stuff that's going to impact people.
1: The stuff. Yeah, you might want to spend a little more time in the hermeneutical stuff. Like a lot more time. Like you might even want to take a class or 10 about hermeneutics.
3: You want to start a church, just 10% of it is... Is what you see. It's, it's the ninety percent of prayer in the invisible and underneath it. Charles Spurgeon had this massive church, and in- Phil Pringle
1: quoting Charles Spurgeon could end up tearing a hole in the fabric of the universe and creating a black hole that destroys uh, destroys us all. That's all I'm saying.
3: London, first mega church in, in world history. Basically, people say, "What you?" What's your secret? He took them down three flights of stairs to the basement, opened the door, and there's this roar of people coming out of there in prayer meetings. He said, that's my secret right there. Being clever on a stage, is that, that's not your pursuit. Being close to God. Wow. And you can't do it without prayer in your life. Right. you got to stop. you got to turn things off like TVs, like games like Twitter, like phones, like just turn it all off and, and wait. God comes to those who wait for him. 500 people were told to go and wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. By the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, there's 120. 380 couldn't cope with waiting. They couldn't hang out there. I think of, I think of number 121 who left at 8 o'clock on the morning that it came down at 9 o'clock.
1: Seriously, where, where are you getting this? Man, this is ridiculous. Now he's trying to do mathematics in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and basically say something that the text doesn't say. text doesn't say that a whole bunch of people, 300 and something, you know, and they couldn't wait, you know, so they ended up leaving. Unbelievable.
3: He thought, oh, you know what? I'm feeling like a McDonald's. I'm going and uh, nothing's going to happen. So I'm, I'm go- as he walks out there, he hears the sound of a Russian mighty wind. God comes to those who wait for him. Isaiah 64 verse five. God works for those who wait for him. When you say, God, I'm going I'm to go away from this conference. Fired up to serve you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get close, closer than I've ever been before. You know what? That Holy Spirit that I'm talking about is in this room right now. He's here to me with you. And if you can, in your heart of hearts, reach out to Him this morning, say you know what, God, I'm. I'm going to refresh my commitment. I want to come back to my
2: first love.
3: I want, I want to just draw near. The amazing thing is, is that finally when David got that ark back to Zion, he pulled back the flaps of a tent and the presence of God covered the nation. And that was what he wanted. He wanted presence everywhere. That's why we have a conference. In April. What verse says that?
1: God, David wanted presence
3: everywhere. I bet you can't find a single verse that says it. You should come. Because it's about that. It's about you and I, not just getting to know about God, but actually to meet him. To draw near to him. I want us all to stand up right now the Bible says, you know, like it's time to, it's time to draw near. It's time to get close. And last night I said, like, I got a prophetic message, like saying now is the time right here, right now. So he got a prophetic message. Now is the time, apparently.
1: Prophetic message, right?
3: Your moment. And what I'm talking about right now is exactly that as well. God says, here, I'm opening the door for you to come on in. And I'll put a spirit of prayer on you. If you're willing to say, yes, God, I want that spirit of prayer on me, I want to actually change the world.
1: So we got a prophetic message that God wants to put a spirit of prayer on
3: them. Then right now, lift your hands to God. And I know that an anointing to pray, the anointing to seek the Lord.
1: There's a bunch of flim-flam. Um... A cue sappy music.
3: Too often we've sought his hand and not his face. says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will listen. If you search for me with all your heart, you will find me, says the Lord it's not searching for stuff he can do it's searching for god himself god is way more important than what he can do
1: all again all these assertions like bumper sticker slogans you know just thrown out there in this message as if somehow they're biblical truth they're not
3: you want to be known as a friend of god you want to be known as somebody who knows the lord there's a relationship going on I know the power of God is in this meeting right now
1: really Um, how do you know that Um, I have no reason to have any confidence whatsoever that the power of God is there because you haven't rightly handled God's word like at all So I seriously doubt that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to do anything associated with you except for judge you on the last day for this flim-flam.
3: Sometimes we confuse noise with power. Some of the most powerful moments I've ever known are dead silent. I've had a word come to me three times in this meeting that there's a person here with a problem in your hips. And you're getting healed.
1: Ah, word of knowledge. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, uh, Melissa Fisher style. You know, uh, this is God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, Phil, would you make sure that that somebody knows there that uh, I'm I'm gonna heal something on them and uh, in their hip. Just
3: just tell them that, would you? As you stand here right now, it's in both hips painful for you to walk sometimes. It's like an arthritis. Holy Spirit, we draw near to you. Every day he wants to put enough oil on you for the day ahead. He gives you bread for the day and oil for the day. You got to fill your cups, fill your lamps with oil.
1: And how would you do that? So God wants to give us an oil change. Got it.
3: That's what's happening right here, right now.
1: No, it's not.
3: You're going to go from this conference energized...
1: is more like the power of suggestion rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Feeling
3: fresh. Feeling new life in you. We're going to just take a moment singing in the Holy Spirit. You, you're going to what?
1: You, you're going to sing in the Holy Spirit. Oh, this
3: ought to be great. ...come down from heaven on your soul here this morning before we finish.
2: And I will worship you.
1: (laughs) Really? So that's what singing in the Holy Spirit sounds like.
2: huh? Apparently the Holy Spirit can't sing. Yes, I will pray. Uh-huh. Your name forevermore, oh Lord Oh, weird uh-huh.
1: Again, this practice is actually forbidden by Scripture Yep, there's no translator there, you can't do this Let me translate for you, hang on okay translation I am a false prophet I speak by the power of the devil not the holy Spirit that's pretty straightforward Lord
2: I will worship and adore you
1: If you're listening to my voice, you might want to flee the building. That's what that translates as. Nothing I've spoke tonight is actually true. It's weird. That's the translation. It's coming right to me.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm receiving all of this
2: directly from the devil. Okay. Holy, holy.
1: That's right, and his goal is to send you all to hell. Weird.
2: I will worship and adore you, bow my life, my life before you.
1: Apparently, he's on a spirit walk. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately,
2: it's not the Holy Spirit. Holy One.
1: That sentence actually meant nothing, it's just to make it look like I'm holy. I have no idea what I'm speaking. But it sure does sound like it's from God, doesn't it?
2: Yes, you are holy, Lord. Man, this is weird. Oh, oh How
1: on earth does anyone think this is biblical Christianity? I have no idea.
2: My, my, my. My Savior and my God.
1: I, I mean, Chuck Pierce almost makes more sense. Not quite, but almost. Ole, ole,
2: ole, Amen, Father.
1: You know, the sad part is, is that, you know, the people showed up to this conference wanting to actually hear. God, but God wasn't permitted to speak. His word was not opened. His word was not proclaimed. Phil Pringle proclaimed himself and spoke from his own life experiences as if they rise to the level of the word of God. God the Holy Spirit has not spoken at this conference, at least in this message. Amen. Lord, right now... Yeah, done. Yeah, I'm not going to let you pray. Wow! Was that a mess? I mean, that was just jaw-droppingly awful. I mean, how do you correct something that wasn't... There was nothing right in it at all? Pray for those kids that were at that conference. That was a youth conference. They were just full-on fed... Satanic lies, falsehoods, all in the name of God, just utter blasphemies. And they think that God, the Holy Spirit, has anything to do with Phil Pringle and his... uh, Unbelievable. Wow. So what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... You could do so. My email address is talkback at com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.